0: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Icons, Harlem Renaissance in Motion, a classical theater of Harlem production in collaboration with the Venus Radio Theater. My name is Ty Jones, the Producing Artistic Director of the Classical Theater of Harlem, and I am delighted to be presenting this wonderful and important monologue series. CTH commissioned playwrights to create seven original monologues based on figures from the Harlem Renaissance. The monologue you're about to hear is written by Chima Chikazunga and is titled An Icon's Belief in Fallen Soldiers. We find Mae Miller, a famed playwright, outside of time and standing on the edge of the abyss, she has a final message to deliver.
2: My name, Mae Miller, and I lived a black life. No better, no worse, but mine. My words, my life, my choice, my black. I'm sorry you don't know me, but it's not my fault. I've lived my life, have you lived yours? Well, I hope so. I lived a black life, not a white one, and I was praised for it, not as much as I'd like, but it was enough, my black life. Black, what is black? Is black silence? Why am I black? Is my black silent? My pain is real. My words, my life, my choice, my black. Never disregard a stranger when they arrive. One told me they woke up naked in a dumpster. I listened to their story. Someone is missing. They repeat someone is missing We talk we vibe a realization about someone else giving up on a dream committing to a dream before I know it I'm making a new friend. I begin to tell my story. I would later be married Mae Sullivan I Almost lived to a hundred January 26, 1899 to February 8, 1995, four years short of a century, isn't such a bad thing when you lived and walked on the front lines. The daughter of a Howard University sociologist, I grew up in an intellectual household in which W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington were frequent guests. I graduated from Howard University in 1920, earning an award for my one-act play, Within the Shadows. This and many other things allowed me to become the most widely published woman playwright of the Harlem Renaissance. But enough about me. Let's talk W.E.B. I knew him well. W.E.B. Du Bois. Known him since I was a girl, but I never thought he noticed me. Did he understand my black? My new friend is intrigued by my black. It's essence, it's joy, it's struggle, it's pain. But let me take it back to my younger days, way before we knew the pain of the new age of fallen soldiers. I think of it as a stranger story, like the one I mentioned earlier. I received a message. It was anonymous, but from a fan who'd read two of my plays. One, in particular, caught their attention and they wanted to talk about a possible collaboration. Typically something like this I find strange, but something about their story intrigued me. They'd come to me as a survivor. They'd been through an experience I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy because most never lived to tell their story. This was my fascination and I often wonder what it would be like if I never responded. So we start sending messages back and forth and their words felt like the ocean. Like I was from Atlantis and she was typing words on the keys while she played the flute. So after a few days of short phone calls, I hop on the train and I headed upstate New York. I wasn't afraid, more skeptical than anything. Though I'm usually not so brave, taking the time to use one's art to heal is essentially what we do. Most of the time it's subconscious, But when it's put right out there in front of you, that's what we must do. But leaving the city for a small town in upstate New York was something I hadn't done in a while. I knew it was quiet and I would be able to get a lot of writing done. She too was a writer. But she didn't want to write her story. I don't blame her. So much trauma. She must have dealt with over the years, but at the same time, why not? I'd like to think I would. If I survived something like that and had the skills to do it, write it, I mean. Perhaps that's why Du Bois recommended me to write. I felt so honored. I imagined her to be very timid, like a pet coming to a new home after being adopted, seeking comfort rather than a home. The train ride wasn't so long as I thought it would be. Only a few hours, but way better than a bus. I chose to use the time wisely and write down some questions. What made you reach out? Why not write your own story? What was your first day back like? Your first week? Month? All those questions, plus maybe a dozen more, ran through my mind while on that train. It was an autobiography, from my perspective, by a living and breathing survivor. However, the only question that I kept coming back to along that train ride was, Why me? Who am I to tell this man's story? Sure, she liked my work, but still, the whole why thing. I was engulfed in me, and then I dozed off. And when I came to, a conductor was waking me up, saying, Last stop. I dusted myself off and went on my way. Leaving the station was different. In a different place, a different state of mind. Surprisingly different, as a matter of fact, as I don't think I wondered so much about the why. The sky was a new hue of blue. All the fall colors of what seemed like an endless road were immaculate. Different shades that only seemed to bloom in the south. So, this is kind of weird, but I'm enjoying it. Everything was so scattered and the road to get there seemed like it would never end my driver lou told me he was born and raised there he was a small stature of a man who hunched over and had a slight limp later i would discover one of his legs was longer than the other and he turned down a football scholarship to a division one college as a kicker because of his love of the town he wasn't a conversationalist to say the least it wasn't until I asked him about my host for the weekend. Her name was Francine. She was his mother and the reason for my weekend retreat. We spoke about her the whole right there. It was as if he was super protective of her, more than the typical mama's boy. Lou was very animated when he spoke of her and for someone who was just meeting someone for the first time. I was very cautious with the questions I asked, so not to excite him too much behind the wheel. Lou goes into the story of how his mom became the talk of the town. When his sister was barely a teenager, she was abducted on her way home from school. It was raining and someone offered her a ride. It would turn out they were a member of one of their local church at the time. They called to her and offered her a ride. She remembered smelling some roses and then waking up in a basement. She would spend almost eight months before she was found pregnant with Lou. The more and more he began to tell me of this story, the more I began looking out the window of his car, imagining what his birth father looked like. That close in age? He must have been a splitting image of him. I didn't ask. I just kept my pad and paper, taking down detailed notes while he drove. The car smelled like a chimney, but I didn't mind. At first, he was quiet. You'd think he was a field mouse in a barn, just trying to get some water and not wake up the family cat. Before I knew it, he starts to go on about how his rich uncle owned this lake house. He left it in his will to Francine and Lou, and she took it over and started a clinic for survivors like her. They do a weekend retreat for 48 hours and really bond over their conversations, really begin to step forward towards inner peace. The women arrive on Friday between 3 and 5, settle in, and have dinner at 6. Lou says he does the same trip he took me on, that's how he seemed to know all the landmarks. I asked him about what she was like, if he could prepare me for anything in particular, anything I probably shouldn't mention after all. I hadn't seen W.E.B. in a long time. I'd only known him from a handful of back-and-forth letters and one phone conversation, which was very brief. Anyhow, all the while Lou's face glowed. It was almost as if all these conversations... Maybe he wasn't as close as I was to him as he made it out to be. But if he wasn't close to him, then who was? Couldn't be just a driver. Was I even safe? Even with my black? I was very curious about him too. Perhaps this peculiar man would make a few appearances in my next play as well. To be honest, I started to get scared by that point. When I arrived at my destination, it was nothing more than a patch of a wooded area with just a sign. Lake, .05 miles ahead. No cars allowed past this point. And immediately I thought, well, that's odd. No cars. I mean, surely a bike or something, but there was nothing. Lou assured me that all was good and that he can't go any further or would have to pay a fine. Lucky for me, I packed light and if needed to run or hit someone, I could. So he gives me an umbrella and he drives off. It was like the music just stopped, the music as he looked down the road. Part of me thinks Lou put that sign there. There was a look on his face as he looked down that road into the abyss, and that's where he leaves me. He gave me an umbrella and pulls off, and as I watch his car drive off, I kept wondering. He's the only person I've actually met here and i have a light bag and an umbrella if it rains i'm covered if i get attacked by wolves or mugged by hillbillies well i hope they don't blame lou because they'll never find the body yeah i probably shouldn't say that come to think of it yeah i definitely shouldn't crazy doesn't discriminate against black and as i start to walk something tells me to look up and i do The clouds are moving fast and faster, but only pointing towards one direction, the one I'm heading in with one big dark cloud at the end, and I realize I'm at the midpoint mark. If I turn around, there's no one there once I get back to where I started. If I continue, I'll get to begin this new project for W.E.B. and meet Francine. Always the optimist, I choose to continue along the path Lou sent me on. I know how long it takes for me to walk a mile at a steady pace, and as I glance at my watch, I really do wish I would have worn the cheaper one. If I get robbed, they'll surely make off with this one. Sadly, the sentimental value of it is something that goes well beyond its monetary value. I keep walking, and again, something tells me to glance up. It's cleared up a bit. I guess my courage outweighed my inner insecurities, perhaps. As I look further, I can see what seems to be a single lake house in the approaching distance and up above it, the same dark cloud lingers. How is this possible? The laws of physics do not seem to apply to upstate New York as they do to Long Island. I look at the mailbox. I see a name, Du Bois. I'm finally going to share with my idol, my black. But there's still a few ways to go, and as I'm about to knock on the front door, I hear my name, but I don't know the voice. I turn around and see an older woman with a cane. She smiles. It has a youthful aura about it that will, or rather, seem to brighten even the cloudiest of days. There is something warm about her, and in that very moment when I look up, I see the darkest of clouds seem to part ways. And she says, I see Lou gave you his umbrella. The next sentence tumbled out of my mouth because there was something about the clouds lifting that seemed to lift my spirits, but I turn around and we share a smile. What would happen next? I wouldn't believe myself if I weren't there to tell you. Now, what would you do if I told you this whole thing about me and W.E.B., I just made it up? Hear me out. Hear me out. Don't judge yet. Okay, let me guess. You'd be mad, right? Hmm? Hmm? and and probably discredit me but you'd probably get over it now what if i told you (laughs) there once was a 21 year old woman by the name of carolyn bryant who said a young black boy whistled at her and the result cost him his life then 50 some odd years later decided to retract her story A lie that would cost a young black boy his life. Would you be able to forgive her? The murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Tony McDade, and Breonna Taylor have demonstrated in horrific fashion the racism upon which this country was built. We mourn the loss of these black men and women and are grieved and outraged by their deaths 25 years after I died. Adding the countless other names to these names, Amadou Diallo, Eric Gardner, Freddie Gray, Philando Castile, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, you'll never know what they could have been or done. But just to name and honor a few of these black men and women and children, as time passes by, we see what's going on down here. We know what to do. Come on, people. As young as ages of 12. To 59, when will it fall flat? All lives taken by those who should be protecting them. This hurts even more when they're all black. See? You got me started again, and I know what I missed. The slain of young black bodies. You know the ones we lost without the recordings? Yeah, where's that list? It hurts to know I missed so many, but I'm a poet. Sometimes I don't exactly know it. My sincerest apologies if I don't have your loved one here. My thoughts are those to hopefully leave you knowing you don't have to live in fear. This is the time for all hands on deck. We need everyone working for change and demand our young kings and queens as equals. All due respect. My black will help me endure the pain. And remember, when a stranger arrives and they tell you they woke up naked in a dumpster, listen to their story. Someone is missing. That someone could have been an icon, but now a fallen soldier. And I walk with you in this world and the next. You are my black and I salute you. And I can assure you, I'm not the only icon who believes in the fallen soldiers. Zora Neale Hurston once said, if you are silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it.
0: Mae takes a knee and holds up a black fist. She will exit to the abyss when she's ready. End of play. Listen, on behalf of everyone here at the Classical Theater of Harlem, we thank you for listening. We've got some great people to thank. First off, Sean Renee Graham, Literary Director of Programs. Betty Shamia, CTH's Mellon Playwright-in-Residence. This piece was adapted, produced, and edited for audio theater by Eric Emma and the sound design and mixing by Andy Stein. This is a classical theater of Harlem production recorded in collaboration with the Venus Radio Theater. Thank you again.